The following audio is from Central Christian Church, located in Portales, New Mexico. To connect with Central, go to centralwired.org.
lift up the name of Jesus. Amen. Christ alone, our cornerstone.
Thank you. 
of two old codgers. Um, I guess before, some of y'all might have saw that and watched that and said, okay, I don't get it. What, what, what's up with this deal? And if you weren't here for the last one of these that I did, you won't. You're, you're lost. So just kind of a little refresher. Um, Donnie and I have here for, I don't know, last little bit. We kind of, and it wasn't designed this way or anything else. We just started kind of getting here in between the two services and, uh, getting together and sitting down at the table and visiting. Have a cup of coffee, and a lot of times we talked about farming. Um, a lot of times we talked about how our pickup broke down last week or tractor or whatever. But we spend a lot of time talking about God. And it's been very, very good for me and very ground, humbling and, and for, my, for myself. But, you know, here a while back there was someone walked in the front door and they came over to us and said, Do you know what you two remind me of over here? We said, What's that? I said, You know them two old Muppets that you sit up there in the balcony and carry on? I said, That's what you two remind me of. Them two old codgers up there. So that's where this codger deal came to came to be and and uh, we've embraced it and we take it and, and, and we enjoy it and uh it's good to greet everybody that comes to the doors on Sunday morning. But I will tell you this, last Sunday, um, well, let me back up. Last Saturday night was the last night of the county fair, okay? And Donnie and I were both out there, and it was late, 11, 30, 12 o'clock, pretty late for us, okay? And we're like, hey, you going to be there? No, you better be. No, I'm going to be there. You back and forth, you know, harassing each other whether or not we're going to make it Sunday morning. Well, I had to get up that morning and 
through some different things. I had to deliver some livestock from the fair and so forth. So I was running a little late. I ran home, took a shower real, real quick, and I got here, and it was about 10 o'clock before I got here. Guess what? He wasn't here. And I was like, well, that ornery, I better not finish that sentence. But he, uh, I was like, well, he slept in. I was getting upset. And so I kind of talked to a couple of other people and, and kind of stumbled and staggered around here. And I was kind of like a lost puppy. I didn't have my sidekick. I didn't have my partner. And so finally I went and got me a cup of coffee and I went and sat down at the table and, and pulled my phone out and was reading a verse or two there. And, and then he walked in the door and I was like, Hey, there he is. Yeah. All right. So I was all excited and all happy. And it got me to kind of thinking how many, and maybe there's someone that is like this that walked through the doors this morning. That's just kind of been out there just stumbling around kind of all by yourself that you didn't really have that sidekick, so to say. You didn't have that guy called Jesus in your corner and walk in there with you. Do you know anybody like that that's maybe out there? And maybe you're here this morning. Maybe you've never really heard about this God thing and this Jesus dude and so forth. Maybe I'll go check that out. Maybe that's you today. But you know, I'm going to take you and I'm going to put you in a category over here along with... um, Maybe some other folks that people might kind of get offended by this, but I hope not. Because I know of a lot of, I know some people that are probably the most religious people you're ever going to meet in your entire life. They've been there every time the door swang. They can read the Bible to you. They can quote, the, they're the first ones to cook a meal for a family. They're the first ones to give for this, and they're the first ones to be there to do that. But do they truly know Jesus? If they accepted this thing that Jesus left it with called the Holy Spirit, and have they been baptized in the Holy Spirit? For how many people are out there, whether it's someone that doesn't know Jesus first walking in the door versus some of those that's maybe been in the church for 50 years, do they truly know Jesus? Do they truly have the Holy Spirit in their life? And that's what, you know, the old codgers get to visiting quite a bit about at that table. We talk about the Holy Spirit quite a bit. And we've talked about different things. And, and you know, some of y'all sitting there say, oh, gosh, here goes Mike again off on the Holy Spirit thing again. You know, because a lot of people think about the Holy Spirit and you're, you, you're sitting there, yeah, well, that's that talking in tongues and that's that prophesying. That's kind of weird, Mike. That's a little different. That's out there. And those are gifts of the Holy Spirit without a doubt. But you know what? I'm here to tell you, and we talked about this a couple, three weeks ago. I think the Holy Spirit is out there and touches your life probably at least 100 times a day. And maybe you don't realize it, but he's there. And maybe he's there nudging you in a certain direction, one way or the other. Maybe you got up late one morning and said, I don't have time to read my Bible this morning. I need to get this. I got to get the kids to school and so forth. Well, maybe I'll go back and read it. Who gave you that nudge? Who just pushed you back to the Bible? What about, um, you know, that devotional? You know, I always do a devotional every morning. I've got to do my devotional. But I, I just don't have time. But you go back to it. What do you think? Think maybe that Holy Spirit's there and he's just kind of, just, here you go. Let's get back over here. Let's go that direction. I think he does a whole lot. I think he's always there.
you know, and as we sit here and, and we ponder some of these thoughts and these ideas, maybe some of you are like, you know, Mike, it's a little harsh. Maybe you ought to pump the brakes a little. You're getting a little, you're kind of mashing on my toes. Don't get carried away up there. And a lot of speakers might stand up here and tell you and apologize for getting harsh and getting brass about it. Because I think the Holy Spirit is important. And I think if he's not in your life, you need to be trying to accept him and get it into your life. But instead of standing here and apologizing for being brash and being harsh, I'm simply going to say, you're welcome. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you this morning as always. I praise you and thank you, Father. Father, I want to thank you for an answered prayer. Father, we prayed to you over a week ago before our our community event, before our Roosevelt County Fair, that you put an umbrella of safety over every single person that walked through those gates. And you know what? You did it. You answered our prayers because to our knowledge, there was not a single major incident that happened. And Father, we thank you for those answered prayers. But Father, also we thank you for the ultimate sacrifice that we're here to remember at this time. That you died for us. You hung on that cross. But yet three days later you rose. So that we could have under, we could have everlasting life. Father, we praise you. We thank you as we go forth and do your work. That we do it in a pleasing way. And you give us the knowledge. You give us the wisdom that we need. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I grew up on adventure stories. Anybody? I love those movies and those books where you got to go find, you got to search, you got to X marks the spot kind of a thing. I mean, it probably started there, but it it probably even started before that, okay? There's all kinds of those, and I kind of think every American boy wants to find the treasure map. We want to find the the secret passages. I love those kind of stories, Uh, National Treasure, and where you have to find all of the answers. Da Vinci Code, before you start sending me emails, it was fiction, okay? It was made up, all right? It was a fun story. Where is all the secret, where are they hidden? And I think we all want to find a secret passageway that unlocks everything so we can understand it. There's a subtle line in the New Testament that I think does unlock something. Now, before you start throwing songbooks at me, join me in Luke chapter 24. We're not going to read it all, but I want you to hear, and you'll recognize a lot of the story. The story is the guys on the road to Emmaus. It's happening after Jesus' resurrection, and, and there is a guy named Cleopas and his buddy. They have been in Jerusalem with all of the things that have happened over the Passover, the crucifixion, the resurrection, and all this stuff. And they're walking home to a little town of Emmaus. It's about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they're walking on the road, and it says, suddenly a man appeared with them. Now, we get, we know, okay, because we got the book. We, we've seen the back chapter. That's Jesus. But they don't see Jesus. He's just some dude, okay? He comes walking up and he asks, what are you guys talking about? And I love Cleopas' response. You must be the only guy on planet Earth to not know what's going on right now. Did you not know that Clovis Walmart was on fire? You know, I mean, don't you follow Facebook? Don't you know anything? You know, so so he, he listens to them, and Cleopas and his buddy, they start telling him 
everything that has happened. We thought this Jesus guy was real. We thought he was the Messiah. We thought everything was working, but then it got close, and then the Romans arrested him, and then they and then they crucified, they killed him. And if that wasn't enough, we found out this morning he's walking around. People have seen him, and so we're really confused. Now, I want you to note the order of how that happened. They told Jesus what they knew. You hear that? And then Jesus told them the real story. I wonder how many times we spout off what we think we know. We were kidding earlier about, don't bother me with facts. I already have my opinion. We start spouting off things and we don't know exactly the order in which it happened and not what it says. Cleopas thinks like a lot of Israelites and I think like a lot of us think that we don't understand the Old Testament and I mean come on Don we were we're in this New Testament thing we don't need the old law and it doesn't really matter and we don't understand what it means it's it's basically just a a bunch of VBS stories is he's kind of looking at it that way and the vast majority of the people of Jesus time did not recognize Jesus They didn't see him in all of these things. But here's the kicker. They all knew the scriptures better than you and I. If you were an Orthodox Jew, and many of you already know this, but the Orthodox Jews, they started reading the Torah. That's the law, the first five books of the law, books of the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. None of them are easy to read. None of them are easy books. But by age 13, Every Jewish boy has them memorized, not verses memorized, the entire things memorized. And many of them go on and memorize the prophets as well. So they know the scriptures completely, but they missed who this Jesus was. There were glimpses of him all through the law and the prophets. And I'm afraid we're going to miss it. We're going to miss seeing him and miss seeing the totality of Scripture when we don't put the Old Testament and the New Testament together. And it all comes, I told you there's one verse in this passage, and it comes in Luke chapter 24 and verse 27. And this one little subtle thing opens up a lot of doors. It says, beginning with Moses and the prophets... He explained what the scriptures said about himself. He started with Moses. He started with the prophets and he started telling them about this guy, Jesus, that was him. Uh, Many of you may not be old enough to remember this, but in 1977, there was a movie that came out called, Oh God, that had George Burns. Anybody remember this thing? George Burns played God, which is epic on so many levels because he got this cigar and he's just kind of this old guy. And John Denver is in the movie. And, and what it does is he comes down as the person of God and he's walking around. And they put him on trial for being an unfair God. They put him on trial and they take him into a courtroom and they set him up on the stand. And I still love this scene where... Where George Burns is on the stand, you know, they put the Bible up there, raise your hand. Do you, do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? And he says, so help me, me. And I just love that phrase. He's like, I, I'm the highest authority I can get, so help me, me. I think of that when I read this verse. 
Jesus is telling the story about a guy, but the guy is him. He's telling the story of himself. And I need you to get this. And this is absolutely huge. Jesus is man's greatest treasure. Thank you. He is the big thing. The law and the prophets point forward to Jesus. The gospels and the epistles return to Jesus or talking about Jesus. He is the hinge pin upon which history stands. But everything hinges on this conversation between Jesus and these two guys. You see, when we see Jesus in the Old Testament, we read the Old Testament, it brings additional light to some of our favorite stories. And we're going to look at some of those. And it affirms the value of studying the word, not just reading it, but what Mike shared today is spot on, being led by the Spirit, being moved by the Spirit. Many of us grew up in backgrounds that said, that the Old Testament is outdated. That is not true. We, the old law never went away. Well, we're under the new law. We're under the law of grace. Yes, but God's law never changed and it never went away. So we're calling this series Emmaus Code. And the title for this series comes from that verse in Luke 24 and verse 27, that he started with Moses and the prophets, and uh, he built it on that. Now, don't forget, these people didn't have a Bible. They, there were some scrolls of the Torah, but they belonged to the synagogue. Nobody had a Bible. Their Bible was verbal. Okay, they told the stories of Jesus and their Bible was telling each other what was going on. If you follow this Luke 24 passage a little farther down in there in about verse 45, Jesus is meeting with his disciples again and they're still confused at everything, but I love it. 24 and verse 45 says, then he opened their minds so they could understand scripture. Oh, I love that verse. If you're a highlighter, get that one. Open our minds so we can understand scriptures. Let's think about that for just a minute. When Jesus taught, he used parables, true? Anybody argue that? He used parables. Parables are these stories to teach a kingdom theology in some simple way. Hey, there was a guy and he had a field. Hey, there was another guy and he planted seeds, right? He's using metaphors that these people could understand. What we're looking at in this Emmaus Code is things called types and shadows of Jesus. And it's going to work in the same way. A kingdom message to see the greatness of Jesus, but he's going to be a precursor. Maybe it's a a person. Maybe it's an image. Maybe it's an illustration. But it's going to work in the same manner that parables work. And you see, when we see Christ in the Old Testament, we are reminded that Jesus was plan A all along. I love this quote from St. Augustine. I put it on the back of your bulletins. In the Old Testament, the new is concealed. In the New Testament, the old is revealed. They need each other. But I want you to get the purpose of this series. We, we say all the time, we're a Bible-believing and a Bible-using church, right? We want you to have a Bible. If you need one, we will get you one. But the scriptures are not just a backstory. They're one story that is told over and over and over again. The OT and the NT are one T. It is the testament of God's 
love for us based on the story of Jesus. Now, Jesus, he said, starting with Moses and the prophets, he began to explain everything. Jesus started with Moses, and I thought we ought to as well. But let me go off the subject to get back to the subject. If I were to ask you to tell the story of America, to tell what it was, how we came, how, how we came about, where would you start? Now, we might start with the Mayflower, right? We might start with Mayflower and, and the 13 colonies and the original Thanksgiving, and we might do that. We might talk about the Civil War. We might, it will probably bring up Abraham Lincoln in there somewhere because he's very, very revered. I, I found some stats this week. Do you realize there are over 16,000 books written about Abraham Lincoln? Many people suggest, there's no way to measure this, but they suggest the only person that has more books written about him is Jesus. And, and Abraham Lincoln, Lincoln's in, in second place. So, I mean, he's got to be in there. But if you carry it up into our generations, we got to talk about the Industrial Revolution. We've got to talk about the Technological Revolution. We've got to talk about 9-11. But if we were going to find some place that all of us could agree on to tell the story of us, would it be fair to say, how about we start with George Washington? Would that be fair? The first president, the capital, the state, everything. I think that would be a good level playing ground that we could all, whether you like him, dislike him, not everything's true, not the cherry tree, all of that business. But at least we could start common, right? Jesus comes in and he starts in a very common place to an Israelite, Moses. You see, Moses was the goat of that people, all right? He was the great, he was Michael Jordan and Tom Brady all put together. He was the best of the best. And he was everything to an Israelite. Now, yes, there's Adam. Yes, there is Noah. Yes, there is Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And we'll talk about some of those. But Moses was the big dog. So Jesus started on a level playing field. Let's start where you know, and let's talk about Moses. Now you might be sitting there, are there similarities between Moses and Jesus? I would say, yes, there are many similarities. Moses was born at the time of Pharaoh when Pharaoh ordered all the babies under two to be killed. You can find that in Exodus 1. And we know the story. They built a little boat. They lined it with pitch and papyrus. We've seen the flannel graphs, right? And we know they floated him down the river and he was, it was picked up by Pharaoh's daughter and he was raised as royalty. Well, Jesus likewise was born at the time of Herod when Herod ordered all the baby boys under the age of two to be killed. You can find that in Matthew chapter two. When, when Moses was rescued, he was rescued and he survived. God provided for him where? In Egypt. Guess where Jesus was taken? God told Joseph in a dream, take Mary and the baby and go to Egypt. So there are similarities in there. Um, Moses sacrificed his adopted royalty. Later on in scripture, he says he wanted to suffer in affliction with the people of God. Paul will tell us in Ephesians 2 that Jesus, being the form of God, took on the nature of a servant. He gave up his royalty. John chapter 1 and verse 17 says, The law was given by Moses, but grace and peace come through Jesus Christ. And then in, I think one of my favorites, if you read between the lines, 
In Matthew chapter 5 is the Sermon on the Mount. We've looked at that a lot, and I, I love that passage. It's one of, it's just, there's just so much teaching in there. But one of my favorite parts of that is where he says, you've heard it said, don't commit murder. But I say, don't even have anger in your heart. You've heard it said, don't commit adultery. But I say, don't even have lust in your heart, right? Do we remember these passages? He's taking Moses' teachings, the Ten Commandments. He's taking the Mosaic law and he's taking it to another level. In his teaching, he is respecting the history of Moses. And I think the reason Jesus starts, it says, starting with Moses and the prophets, he explained. I think he started because he's trying to teach these people, these Cleopas and his buddy, this truth. Present trust is based on past faithfulness. This man, they don't know it's Jesus. It's just some random dude walking down the street. He's trying to get them to see what's going on in the present by looking at how God has been faithful in the past. So he goes to Moses. Like I said, Moses, the Red Sea, the the wilderness, the Ten Commandments, getting to, to the promised land. They know the stories. God had certainly been with Moses. Problem. Cleopas couldn't see that. He could only see here. He could only see what's going on right around him. The circumstances were confused. The the current situation. And too often, we look a lot like Cleopas. We only see the problems right now. And some of you are dealing with big problems. Some of you are dealing with big pains. And it's easy to get sucked into the situation. But Jesus is trying to tell Cleopas and his buddy to look past the situation and trust a God that has always been faithful. Friends, you need to hear this. You do not have the situation that my God cannot change. It has not been created. You can't even think it up. What my God cannot make a difference in. You may be sitting there, but Don, you don't understand. Our marriage is lonely. It's loveless. The kids, they're, they've, they've run away from us. They've run away from the Lord. They've, they've grown up. They're living their own life. They're not listening to God. You don't understand our finances, Don. We're, we're buried. We're in debt. We're never going to get out of here. I can't get a good job. Don, you don't understand the... Our womb is empty. We've wanted kids and we've tried, but nothing happens. Or maybe you're sitting there in your singleness and you've gone on dates and nothing's happening. And and it just, it seems like it's all lost. Did you hear what you sang just a few minutes ago? You are stronger. You are stronger. Sin is broken. You have saved us. It is written. Did you hear that line? It is written. Christ is risen. Jesus, you are Lord of all. Jesus is better than all of our greatness. Jesus is better than any of our comfort or any of our sorrows. He is better. And we forget this. We start looking at our situation and we forget that God loves working in overwhelming situations. It's kind of his, it's kind of his thing. All right. That's where he really, he really excels. So Jesus is talking to these guys and he's trying to get them to learn what's going on in the present from what happened in the past. And he says, let's talk about Moses. 
I started doing prep for this series. And if I want to talk about Moses and Jesus, man, there is a ton to work with right there. There's a lot of opportunities. And I couldn't even, I, I couldn't even begin. I was just, I had notes everywhere. But I want to dig into one particular passage in Exodus 17. If you join me there, we're basing this Emmaus Code on the idea that he opened the Old Testament and opened the law. We're going to be in Exodus 17. Now, the reason I love this passage for a couple of reasons. I think it shows the humanity of Moses. I think it shows how much we need God. But if you look and you're flipping over to 17 in Exodus, look, glance back a couple of pages to Exodus 14, and you'll see that's the coming through the Red Sea. Okay, that's pretty big, right? That's a big, you know, that's Charlton Heston. That's the whole thing. This is a huge moment in the Israelites history, but chapter 17 is not very long later. Listen to what happens in Exodus 17 in verse one at the Lord's command, the whole community of Israel left the wilderness of sin and moved from place to place. Pause for a second. It says wilderness of sin in a lot of places. What it technically is, is the wilderness around Sinai, around Mount Sinai. I, I get it, but I don't think the irony of that title is lost. A wilderness full of sin. I got a hunch we know a lot of people that are wandering in that wilderness right now. Maybe some of you are. Then you need to hear in here. You need to dig in with me. Keep going. Verse 1. Eventually they camped at Rephidim, but there was no water there for the people to drink. So once more, the people complained against Moses. Give us water to drink, they demanded. Quiet, Moses replied. Why are you complaining against me? And why are you testing the Lord? But tormented by thirst, they continued to argue with Moses. Why did you bring us out of Egypt to kill us? Our children and our livestock stock with thirst. Then Moses cried out to the Lord, what should I do with these people? They're ready to stone me. The Lord said to Moses, walk out in front of the people, take your staff, the one you used when you struck the water of the Nile, call some of the elders of Israel to join you. They'll stand before you on the rock at Mount Sinai, strike the rock, water will come gushing out, then the people will be able to drink. So Moses struck the rock as he was told, and water gushed out as the elders looked on. Moses named the place Massa, which means test, and Meribah, which means arguing, because the people of Israel argued with Moses and tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord here with us or not? Now, I want you to note how this whole thing started. There's three incredible words in verse two. It says, so once more, the people complained. Did you hear the three words? So once more, all right? So we're seeing a habit, right? Now, we all know in scripture, the Israelites had a habit of complaining. Would that apply to you? Not griping, just asking. You see, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the seven things that God detests. Complaining about church was one of them. That's harsh, but Don, you don't understand. No, he said he detests those things. And he saw it in those people. Complaining about the government. These people complained about the Romans and the Babylonians and all of those people, did it get them anywhere? Nope. <laughs> they still were slaves in Egypt for a long, long time. 
They complain about the future. Hey, you brought us out here to die. We at least have water back there and food. Why can't we go back there? What's the future going to be like? And I hear us doing the same thing. The future's just going, everything's going terrible. It's going to be awful. Everything, and we're complaining about those things. I read an article um, this week. It was, it was a quote from a 2007 article in the USA Today. USA Today is a thing called a newspaper. I don't know if you've ever seen these things, big things. USA Today in 2007 interviewed a guy named uh, Steve Ballmer. Steve Ballmer is now the owner of the LA Clippers. But before that, he was the CEO of a little company called Microsoft. I doubt you've ever heard of it. They haven't done much, okay? So he's the, he's the leader of Microsoft who's in charge of finding out what the next steps are, right? Those are the people that look to the future. And this interview is in 2007 because one of his main competitors introduced a new thing. And he, his response was this, quote, the iPhone has no chance to get any significant market share. Sure, technology nerds might like them, but the general population will not have them. As I move the slides on my iPhone and I read my sermon on my iPad, that might be a big oops, all right? These are people that were charged with finding the next thing, and even they missed it. You see, the complaining is not where God wants us to be. They had that habit, and we need to change that habit. Now, I get it. If you look in verse 3, it says they were tormented by thirst. We understand this. We've seen every movie scene like this where the guy's crawling, and there's a canteen, and there's no water. And we know you go three weeks without food, you could die, and, but three days without water, you know, that's really bad. I get it. Moses is dealing with them in a very difficult situation in the trouble of the moment. Franklin, a few weeks ago in a communion meditation, he made a comment that was just is really stinging in me. He said, are you having a bad day or are you having a bad five minutes? Now think about that for a second. Are you letting a bad five minutes say, man, it was a terrible day. Oh, it was an awful week. Or was it really an awful five minutes? You see, too many times we get so caught up in the right here. We get so caught up that we miss how big this is. Now, I get it. They need miraculous help. True. They're not going to make it on nature. They need help outside of the rules of nature. Guess what, friends? We suffer from the same thirst, and we need miraculous help. Nature is not going to help us. Our goodness and our efforts will not save us, yet we still keep trying to be good. We cannot make it without God's intervention. We're not going to make it. Heaven is irrelevant if we are not surrendered to God. And I want you to hear this in a couple of instances. Last Sunday after second service, or at the end of second service, I was privileged to baptize two of our young people, one of our teenagers, one of our young girls in uh, Kid Zone. Many of you were here. I bring them up here to the front, okay? Stand them up here on the stage. This is never to embarrass them, but I want them to see this picture. What I see every Sunday is a, a group of people that are in their corner, Right? And, and you didn't get here on your own. These people and the kid zone and AMP and camp and all of these other things helped get them to this point. I want you to see that it's not on your own. And I also, 
I take them back there and I point to the water that we got back here. That's just portalis water. Now, I have a vat of it. Please don't rat me out, okay? I, I need that. But don't be sending in notes on me, all right? But it's just portalis water, all right? There's nothing special about it. It's not anything exciting. There's nothing special about the physical, all right? It is the spiritual act of baptism that makes the difference. It is the surrender to God. It's not me doing all my efforts. Okay, I got to get, oh, I got wet. I'm saved. No, it's about being changed. Mike's spot on. You may have heard about the Holy Spirit. Do you have him leading you? And another thing that a lot of people are dealing with right now is death. We've had tragic deaths. We're we're seeing a lot of death recently, and that's hard. Do we realize that dying is not automatic entry into heaven? You hear me? Because sometimes we we treat it like that. Well, they died. They're in a better place. Are we sure? Because just because you died doesn't mean you immediately get wings and you and Clarence go hang out, all right? That's not what this is about. It's not about me and my efforts. The gospel is based on what Jesus did, not us. Please. There we go. But back to Moses. Got to go quick. Look at verse (laughs) 4. Is that not the realest verse you've ever seen? Moses says, what should I do with these people? (laughs) You ever been there? What am I going to do with these kids? <laughs> I love them, but I'm going to strangle them here. What do you want me to do with these people? Moses is being confronted. He's being griped at. He's being accused and challenged by the very people he just saved. He just let them out of bondage, and he, they're the ones that are yelling at him. So God says, hey, take that staff, get the elders, and get out in front of the people. And when I tell you to, you smack that rock, water's going to flow out of it. He does. Thirst is quenched. People are saved. But look real close at verse 6. Verse 6 is huge. In verse 6, he says, I will stand before you on the rock at Mount Sinai. God promises to go before Moses into a conflict, into a challenging situation. God promises that he ensures that his presence will be felt. Friends, our efforts, our goodness is not based on us. It's based on him. It's, it's, not, it's not our efforts that make it good. And it's, and it's not limited by our mistakes. We can still do his work because he is going before us. Now, this is a seemingly insignificant detail, but it's hugely important. I love what Mike had to say. So powerful that we see the Holy Spirit, but are we really surrendered to him? Have you ever had somebody help you in a really odd, unexpected way? You know, maybe maybe you didn't even know how they would show up and they showed up and they were just there at the right time. And the people that you expected to help didn't show anybody. You've ever had some of those and just these unexpected moments. Could that be God going before you? Could that be the Holy spirit nudging somebody else to get up there and ask you how you're doing and and lift you up? You see, When he says, I'm going to stand on the rock before you, he's referencing something that these Israelites have just heard. (laughs) I told you, Exodus 14 is where the Red Sea. In Exodus 14 and verse 14, 
And you want to highlight one. It says this, the Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. This is the verse right before they, they get across the Red Sea. Friends, the Israelites had short-term memory loss. They had Dory brain. And sometimes we do too. We forget the goodness of God. We forget his faithfulness. He has been there all along. He is better. Friends, the Emmaus Code is not a secret. It's this. Jesus has been there all along. We forget because we look at what's going on instead of going on and looking at God. Can we see Jesus in this story of Moses and the rock and thirst? Absolutely. Because the people of Jesus' day were thirsty for salvation too. They thought they were going to get it in a political way. We're going to get rid of the Romans. We're going to get back in power. And that's how he's going to save us. And Jesus said, I'm going to tear down this temple in three days. I'm going to rebuild it. They couldn't get the abstractness of his kingdom. But they were thirsty. They were thirsty for salvation. Jesus was confronted by the very, very people he came to save. Is that right? The, the guys he was trying to save were the ones that were driving the nails in his hand. And when Moses cracked that rock and water flowed, thirst was quenched and people were saved. When Jesus was smacked by that cross, blood and water flowed, but thirst was quenched. Lives were saved. Friends, if we're going to be people of the word, we need to see Jesus has been there all along. The Old Testament, the New Testament are the testament of God's love. Now, quickly, one more thing, and we'll close out. Look down in verse 7. Moses names the place Massa and Meribah because they question. Look at that last line in verse 7. But is the Lord here with us or not? That is a real question. We're going to bury two 20-year-olds in the next two days. And it is very easy for family to say, is God really with us? That's, that's real. That is real. There are families that are hurting in so many ways. They're saying goodbye to loved ones. They're looking at the circumstances. And we forget that our God is bigger than any circumstance. Friends, our God is blessing you right now. Whether you believe it, whether you see it or not, God is blessing you right now. He has been with us all along. And he is our greatest treasure. So today, when you sing, I have decided to follow Jesus, I don't want you to sing it. I want you to, to declare it. I have made a decision. It's not I'm casually walking in the direction of God. I am deciding to follow him. Nothing's changing that. Because that, my friends, that, my friend, is, is a life that can change. That's a life-changing moment when you decide to follow him. Thank you for listening to audio from Central Christian Church in Portales, New Mexico. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To connect with us, visit our website at centralwired.org.